legs in the turns. Stairs cut through its shuttling, and Alessandro Giuliani took them fast and painfully. He tapped his cane at each step, partly in commemoration, partly in retaliation, and partly to make it a metronome. For he had discovered long before that to defeat pain, he had to separate it from time, its most useful ally. As he went down, the walking became easier, and a short distance from the crossroads, where he would board the streetcar, he found himself on ten flights of gradual stairs and landings in a thick green defile. Through a confessional grill of tangled trees in a long, dark gallery penetrated at intervals by the blinding sun, he saw the pale circle of light that marked his destination. Drawing closer, he knew from the open blue awning that, unlike everything else in Rome that day, the café that seemed to exist solely for people who awaited the rarest streetcar in Italy had not shut its doors. He had neglected to buy presents for his granddaughter and her family, and now he knew that he would be able to take something to them. Though his great-granddaughter would not be pleased by gifts of food, she would be asleep when he arrived, and in the morning he would walk with her to the village to get a toy. Meanwhile, he would buy some prosciutto, chocolate, and dried fruit, hoping that these would be appreciated as much as his more elaborate presents. Once he brought an expensive English shotgun to his granddaughter's husband, and at other times he arrived with the kinds of things that were to be expected from a man who had many years previously outrun any possible use for his money. The tables and chairs on the terrace of the café were crowded with people and bundles. The overhead wires neither vibrated nor sizzled, which meant that Alessandro Giuliani could walk slowly, buy provisions, and have something to drink. On this line, the cables always began to sing ten minutes before the tram arrived, because of the way it gripped them as it rounded the hill. Walking through the thicket of chairs, he glanced at people who would ride with him on the way to Monte Prato, though most would leave the streetcar in advance of the last stop, and some, even before it lowered its whip-like antennae, switched to diesel and ran far beyond the grid of electrical wires from which it took its sustenance on the streets of the city. It had rubber tires and a pantograph, and because it was a cross between a trolley and a bus, the drivers called it a mule. A construction worker, who had made for himself a hat of folded newspaper, thrust his right hand into a bucket to encourage a listless squid that Alessandro knew would have to die within the hour from lack of oxygen. The headline running along the rim of the hat said inexplicably, Greeks make bridges of gold for the rest of 1964. Perhaps it was related to the Cyprus crisis, but then again, Alessandro thought, it might have had something to do with sports, the subject of which he was entirely ignorant. Two Danes, a boy and a girl in blue and white student hats, were at one corner of the terrace, seated next to German army rucksacks almost as big as they were. Their shorts were as tight as surgeons' gloves, and they were so severely and brazenly entangled in one another that it was impossible to tell his smooth and hairless limbs from hers. Several poor women of Rome, perhaps sweepers or cafeteria workers, sat together over glasses of iced tea and were overcome now and then with a hysterical giggling born of fatigue and hard work. Sometimes they were free for a few days to go back into the country, 
where they had once been sylph-like little girls completely different from the obedient, cardigan-covered barrels they had become. As Alessandro went past, they lowered their voices, for although he was courtly and deferential, his age, bearing, and unusual self-possession awakened their memories of another time. They looked down at their hands, remembering the discipline not of the factory, but of childhood. At another table were five strong men in the prime of life. They were truck drivers, and they wore sunglasses, striped shirts, and faded army clothing. Their arms and wrists were as thick as armor. They had huge families. They worked impossibly hard. And they thought they were worldly, because they had driven over the high alpine passes and spent time with blonde women in German bordellos. Without thinking... Alessandro formed them into a squad of soldiers in a war that had long been over and would soon be forgotten. But then, catching himself, he disbanded them.